Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Thursday, April the 5th edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we finish up the pre-draft position-by-position preview with the defensive backs. We dive deeper into the Dolphins' two most dire needs, and we get you guys caught up on some recent news. But first, before any of that, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, and give me a follow on Twitter at NFL and the show at LockedOnFins. And of course, check out the number one rated blog, the most visited blog in the Lockdown Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. We have a piece up there today talking about the Dolphins' two biggest areas of need, linebacker and tight end. I kind of broke that down on LockedOnDolphins.com. It's up live right now. And of course, other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts, like the Lockdown Heat podcast and Lockdown NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Before we get into first down and the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, just wanted to say, Thank you guys for all your positive interaction on Twitter in regards to my vacation, my personal life. You guys are just really pleasant to talk to on there. And it's just nice to be able to share personal stuff and not just get, you know, stick to football or stick to sports types of tweets back. So big appreciation for that. We had a fantastic time. The weather wasn't great except for one day we got to go out on the beach. And I, I posted that picture of myself in gloves and a beanie. That's just because I was being over prepared. And I like to do that. You know, it, the weather got enough to where I could actually take off the sweatshirt and the beanie and the gloves and, and walk around with the t-shirt. So that was kind of nice. We had some good food as always, a, a nice drive, a good podcast, listen to one of those serial podcasts the cold case type of podcast. So that was kind of fun. And uh, yeah, just a good overall week for me up there. I missed getting, you know, to talk to you guys every day. I took one day off. I got a little bit too uh, drunk uh, yesterday and didn't really have time to get the podcast done, but that's okay. We can press on here and talk about it here. And real, real quick before first down, I don't know if you guys are privy to this yet, but I, I saw on the drive home and there's actually this big, huge thread going on on Twitter right now talking about the Dolphins Twitter official bracket to find out the best Dolphins tweeter, I suppose is the term for it. I got placed into that group, a little bit disappointed with my seating that they gave me. I thought I should have been higher than some people that were above me on the list. Nonetheless, still an honor to get up there. But regardless, go on there. I'll tweet it out today. You guys can see up there. I'm playing against someone or going up against someone that I'm not a fan of. You guys can decide for yourselves how you feel about that. But go ahead and vote for me. Get me on to the next round. I think round two is actually going to be against Simon Clancy, who I've had in the podcast before. A very informative Dolphins fan and sports journalist. He'll be tough to take down. But first round, let's get me through that real quick. Get me into the Elite Eight for Dolphins Twitter follows. And I appreciate if you guys could do that. Just kind of growing the brand, growing the podcast, and growing the Locked On Dolphins podcast here. And speaking of that, let's go ahead and get into the actual Dolphins news. You guys can stop hearing me talk about my personal life. That's another Miami Dolphins and it is first down. The thing I wanted to bring up to you guys was I wrote the notes out for the podcast on Tuesday night or check that Monday night recording at the hotel that I showed you guys. And I had a note down about the Ryan Tannehill photo that he posted on Sunday afternoon of him jumping off of a yacht. And for whatever reason, I just didn't get to it. I, I didn't have my second monitor here. So that was really tough. I just, I, I felt really out of my element recording that podcast. I don't know how the sound was for you guys and everything, but nonetheless, we're back in the studio here today, my quote unquote lab studio. But I, I had the Tannehill photo written down in my news to go ahead and talk about it. And I just didn't do it. I, I skipped over or whatever 
whatever reason, I just, I didn't get to it. So I, I just wanted to talk to you guys about it a little bit. And obviously, you know, my feelings about the quarterback and what I think he is for the Dolphins going forward, but it's just really cool to see him doing things like that. What is it now? Five, six, seven months after surgery. I mean, his timeline is just so vastly accelerated compared to the other quarterbacks I've seen doing stuff. I remember I compared back on Twitter a while back him and Deshaun Watson. There was a tweet about Deshaun Watson beginning running activities, and I kind of married the two together in terms of their timelines. And if you paired it together, Ryan Tannehill was running steps at the at different NFL stadiums the Dolphins were going to throughout the course of the season by the time that Deshaun Watson was just beginning to run. So the whole thing about him being a super rehabber, a freak of nature and all that stuff, it's very true. And I think we kind of knew that when they tried to you know, circumvent surgery the first time around, which turned out to be a colossal mistake for the Dolphins and cost them a year, an entire season, really. But I think that you can look at Tannehill's knee and the fact that he's throwing himself off the top ladder rung of a yacht into the ocean is just a really good sign for where he's at health-wise. No knee brace, none of that stuff. So I think he's going to be 100% good to go. And I've said it a million times, anyone can get hit the way he did against Calais Campbell in that you know, famous, infamous, I should say, Arizona game back in 2016 when everything started to click for him as a quarterback, and then he gets hurt like that. That can happen to anybody, but I think that we shouldn't really worry too much about the structural integrity of that knee or something like last year where he went down in training camp with non-contact. That was just because they didn't get surgery the way I see it. So he's got a clean bill of health. He looks good to go. I wouldn't worry about that knee too much. Moving on to the next topic here, Clive Walford, the former Miami tight end, University of Miami, I should say, Hurricane. He was cut by the Oakland Raiders and John Gruden's weird playing, which is strange that the Dolphins get so much flack for what they've done, but the Raiders don't when their coach is literally playing the game 20 years behind everybody else. But that's for another podcast, for another argument for another day so he gets cut from the Raiders two teams put in a clay, a waiver claim on him the Miami Dolphins were one of them the New York Jets were the other the Jets finished lower in the standings so they get the higher priority so they go ahead and get him so the Dolphins clearly aren't done at the position I think we all kind of knew that going in we'll talk about the tight end position later in the podcast here but they strike out on Clive Walford and then other AFC East news the Patriots trade Brandon Cooks for a really strange trade in terms of the, the compensation given back and forth the Patriots get pick 23 from the Los Angeles Rams. They give up their own fourth pick and get the Rams' sixth pick back. So, you know, an exchange of draft picks, and they kind of move up in terms of what they gave up for Cooks last year, a first-round pick at the end of the first round. But for, for my money, I'm just glad to see Brandon Cooks out of the division. I thought he was the best receiver in the division, and you can even go back to when Jarvis Landry was here. He had a far more high yards per target average than Landry did last year. Landry was right above six yards per target. Brandon Cooks was up around nine and a half. So he was extremely effective as a deep receiver. He was a touchdown maker, a dominant speed threat, and while the Patriots are kind of burning him on the way out of New England, I am glad to see him go regardless of what the Patriots got for him because I think it makes them worse on the field. And obviously they have to button up some more needs. Offensive line is a big deal for them right now. Their front seven is still kind of lacking at this point, but Getting Brandon Cooks off that team leaves them back with Julian Edelman and Chris Hogan as their top pass catchers. I guess Malcolm Mitchell's in that in that mix too, but nonetheless, not a very impressive group. Hopefully Rob Gronkowski continues this whole ambivalent offseason he's had and goes towards the way of retirement. So that's the news of the day I suppose I wanted to get to. We've got some more segments coming up for you guys on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Winkle NFL at Lockdown Fins. All right, and you guys know that I like to do these series or these segments that are multiple days long. I do it both in writing and podcasting. I'm always so 
full of excitement about those particular series in the first couple of days, they seem to kind of drag on towards the end. So if my enthusiasm has been lacking on linebackers or defensive line, or even today on the defensive backs, which we're going to get into here in just one second, I apologize for that. I just think that these tasks tend to be a little bit waning in terms of the amount of time that goes into them. And so we'll talk about the defensive backs today. I'm going to finish it with a bang. I do like this group a lot. And what I like about them is the fact that they have, they're young and they have a lot of upside. And I talked at length last year going into the year that I think that Bobby McCain was set for a breakout season. I even told my buddy, I was at the Seahawks Dolphins game up here in the Pacific Northwest to open 2016. He was as well, big Seahawks fan. Shout out to Mitch Roush. He's probably not listening to this podcast because he hates the Dolphins. Nonetheless, he asked me if the Dolphins have any corners he should be worried about. And I told him in that text, I said, we have a slot corner that's going to be a star in the future. And lo and behold, two years later, I think we're at that point. One of the top five or six slot cornerbacks in the game right now, Bobby McCain. My favorite part about the secondary is him and obviously Rashad Jones. Now, the strange part is with TJ McDonald. We talked about that on the podcast earlier in the week, how Adam Gaze at the owners meetings talked about how it didn't really work out with McDonald and Rashad Jones last year. So I think safety is very much in play. And with the idea that Derwin James and Mika Fitzpatrick seem to be kind of in that no man's land between the top five or six picks of the draft, maybe down to all the way to the 15th pick of the draft, right where the Dolphins are at 11 there. So you could get a crack at one of those guys to go ahead and supplement the secondary. I think that'd be a great addition. Again, we'll talk about that on the next segment on the podcast, talking about mitigating some of the Dolphins needs right now. But the secondary as a whole right now with Xavier Howard and Cordrea Tankersley and then Tony Lippett in the mix for the perimeter job. I keep seeing all the stuff talking about the Dolphins being talent poor or just don't really have a lot of players on the roster. Well, I mean, give these guys a damn chance. Xavier Howard was awesome at the end of the year last year, and he was only in like game 16, 17, 18 of his career at that point when he started balling out of control. Cordray Tankersley looked good at times. The injury kind of slowed him down towards the end of the year. And then Tony Lippett going back to two years ago, you know, he had a, a, a decent year at corner. Still not my favorite player. I think he's a little bit stiff. I think he's not really fluid in the way he does things, which could be a problem for a corner in this league. But he definitely showed some improvement and his as his career has gone on prior to the Achilles injury. So like I mentioned, we still have Rashad Jones, TJ Mack in the backfield. I want to see more of Maurice Smith, the safety that played in the Oakland Raiders game a little bit last year. He got some time, I believe he had a pass breakup in that game. And then the slot corner backup, Torrey McTire, who came on late, was an undrafted guy last year as well. He looked pretty good in limited roles last year too. So I think this group has a lot of upside. I would say that they probably rank... Ian Wharton came on the podcast and said they were like number 22 or 23 in his grades overall. I think they would definitely go above that a little bit, get some more improvement from the guys like McCain, Tankersley, Howard, all three of them, possibly out of safety. I will say that right now they are the 18th best secondary in the NFL with a very good chance to go up much higher than that. So the defense as a whole, I think the defensive line was number 11, linebackers were number 30, and then the defensive backs number 18. So kind of puts you right in that, you know, 16, 17, 18 like the bottom third, I suppose, of the NFL in terms of defense. But if the offense is going to be as good as I think it is, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast last week, 10th or 11th or so, best in the league, this team could be just fine and head right back to the playoffs where they were in 2016. So I like this group a lot. I think that they could get a lot better. I think that they could do more by the way of scheme in terms of more man coverage, more press coverage, and just do things to really go ahead and benefit them there. There are some prospects in this draft that I do think they could look at besides the two safeties at the top of the draft. We talked about Jesse Bates from Wake Forest as, as a safety later on in the draft as well, probably the second round at this point, the way he's looking. But some corners I took are some corners that were available in this draft. Carlton Davis out of Auburn. He is a big, tall, 
uh, body, beautiful type of guy. I would love to see the Dolphins draft him to fit their prototype. He is one of those guys that fits that prototype. A guy that does not fit that prototype, but for my money, is the best corner in the class is Denzel Ward. I, I watched that Big Ten championship game. I loved watching the way he came in and shut down the receiver from Wisconsin that was having a good day, a freshman. I forget his name. I, I want to say Kenny Davis or something like that, but Denzel Ward came onto the field and, and switched his man and went over to, to Davis. I'm going to say it's Davis, and he locked him up pretty good. But he's just so fluid and smooth, and he plays the ball very well. And then later on in the draft class is a sleeper from the University of Texas, San Antonio. And we're actually going to have him on the podcast tomorrow. He has worked out for the Miami Dolphins. He fits the prototype, a six-foot-tall, 215-pound guy that can play that physical brand of football. He really loves to hit and play aggressively. He is Devron Davis out of UTSA. He's going to be on the podcast tomorrow. So look for that, guys. And we'll get to the last segment here on today's podcast, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. And our last segment of the night is a bit of a plug on LockedOnDolphins.com. I have a piece up there right now called Dolphins Disaster Areas, Mitigation and Restoration, and why I named it that. You know, the article kind of went a different direction than what I had planned when I sat down to write it, but I like the theme because I used to, I actually used to work in restoration doing projects on homes that had water and fire damage. I would go out to the, to the property and I would assess the damage, write an estimate, put it into our system on my iPad, and then get it back to the crew and get work out there and get you know, the big fans and get all the, the uh, demo done and everything. So that was kind of an interesting job, but I thought that that kind of parlayed into what the Dolphins could do here. And just kind of talking about some of the things that coaches have to do on a yearly basis, and every single coach has to do this, and it's mitigating problems that the roster has. You're not going to have a 53-man roster of fantastic players. It's just That's just the way the NFL works. At best, you'll have 10 really good players, and then the rest are guys that just try to contribute or, or chip into the team somewhere or another. And that kind of comes down to the coaching staff and their ability to prepare these guys and to mask the weaknesses and to highlight the strengths. And the two areas the Dolphins are really, really wanting in right now are linebacker and tight end. And I don't got to tell you guys that. That's something new to you guys. You guys are knowledgeable listeners, and you know the problems this team has. And those two areas really... I just I look at those two spots right now and I don't I don't see a lot of reason for optimism in terms of you know being dominant groups and we don't have to have them be dominant groups is the whole point of the article is yeah the restoration portion of the article talks about guys that could draft to influx talent into those groups and I talk about it now you guys know the names by now Tremaine Edmonds Roquan Smith Rashawn Evans at linebacker possibly later linebackers like Shaquem Griffin, Leighton Vander Esch, whoever it might be in the later part of the draft. I guess I should say middle part of the draft. And then tight end, again, you guys know the names, Mark Andrews, Mike Gusecki, Ian Thomas, and who is the fourth? Dallas Goddard. So all those guys figured to find their way into the first couple of rounds of the draft. And the Dolphins could definitely go that route. They could go linebacker and tight end. But my point in the article was that these are two positions that they're not primary positions anymore or if they ever were and the linebacker position seems to be really getting kind of phased out of the NFL in the article I talk about the fact that a lot of teams top linebacker plays some of the teams will play like 98% of the snaps like Kiko Alonso is up there this year but then you go to the number two linebacker and he's on the field for maybe 75% of the plays if that like the the Detroit Lions are a good example and I use them because they went to more dime packages than the Dolphins did last year and now Tony Oden comes over from Detroit to coach the Miami Dolphins so you can see a lot more dime inclusion there it gets linebackers off the field more so if you draft a linebacker at the 11th pick and he's not going to supplant Rayquan McMillan or Kiko Alonso as your top linebacker 
linebacker this year, you're essentially taking a guy that's only going to be on the field for 50% of the snaps or so, give or take, in either direction. So is that worth it? You know, I don't know. Tight end at the first round, definitely not worth it there. As you get back into round two and three, that's why I start to feel a little bit better about the linebacker class. And that's why I've been on the safety or Vita Vey bandwagon. These guys can get on the field. They have a determined role, a defined role that they can get on the field and stay on the field for three downs. So the way... So th- those are the restoration options, you know, fixing it, getting it all taken care of. But mitigation is the way you kind of prevent things or, or prevent it from getting worse. And the way you would have to do that, and I, t- I talked about in the article how the Patriots had problems in their front seven all year. Or the Eagles, I remember watching their primetime games early on, and they had problems with the cornerbacks in the secondary. They had issues there, and that was a big concern for a lot of analysts going forward for the Eagles team last year. But the coaching staff did a way of finding opportunities to to make those positions less important and capitalize on the positions they do have of strength and in this article i talk about how the dolphins wide receivers could kind of phase out the tight end i think that's not really an adam gaze function but i'm willing to give him a chance to go ahead and revamp the way he does things and they obviously brought in albert wilson and danny amandola and i think jakeem grant gets a much bigger and increased role this coming season so that's three receivers to me that are going to have a much bigger impact to replace jarvis landry and then possibly the tight end too so if Devontae Parker can be more of a big body threat, he could be a potential tight end, you know, replacement, so to speak, there. And then Kenny Stills does what he does. So you have five receivers that I could just see, you know, I'd feel comfortable with all five of those guys getting decent amount of reps and being like a rotation. And if you do that, you can kind of take the tight end off the field a little bit more. And looking at the linebacker on the defensive side of the football, you know, the biggest worry that I have for this team is the fact that they're kind of relying on a guy that tore his ACL who has never played a down in the NFL to be kind of the savior of the group. And while I think Rayquan McMillan's a good player, it's just a dicey proposition to go ahead and do that, especially with Kiko Alonso being the one that they they appear hell-bent on relying on him. So check out the article. It's up on LockedOnDolphins.com right now. Check out that piece. Get all the way caught up on all the stuff I've written in the past, including every single new Miami Dolphin from Frank Gore, Danny Amendola, Robert Quinn, Albert Wilson, Josh Sitton, Dan Kilgore. Still no Brock Osweiler. You guys are going to have to go somewhere else for that as I'm not going to go ahead and write on Brock Osweiler. But there's tons of good content up there right now, including Kevin Dern's linebacker primer, his defensive tackle primer. We have a trade down piece from Skylar Trunk on there as well. So plenty and plenty of good pieces for you guys to go ahead and check out on LockedOnDolphins.com. But for the podcast, that's going to do it for tonight's show, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And follow our flagship show at Locked On NFL, both on Facebook and Twitter. And, of course, the number one blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a good rest of your night. Back tomorrow with Devrin Davis from UTSA for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.